Ladies and gentlemen, and Corner Kicks fam, welcome back. We've got the full three-man booth today, and we're here to dissect what has been a very interesting week in terms of results in the soccer world. As always, I am joined by a man whose team played in what has been the most entertaining fixture in world soccer in the last five years, Nick Govinden. Nathan, what a game. Liverpool versus Man City, like two heavyweight boxers or mixed martial arts fighters just slugging it out for a full really wasn't 90 minutes because city really dominated the first half but let's just say like the last 45 minutes were probably pound for pound some of the best uh soccer you might ever see in the era of the premier league i think we can probably say that it was one of the best premier league halves of all time but yes nathan i am back unlike a watford manager you can't replace me that easily that is true, but we definitely would not replace you with an Italian, just given all of, all of our previous... No, that is very true. So honestly, when I woke up today and I saw that they had sacked Cisco, right? I was like, Watford hired the dude who wrote the thong song? <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled the same. It's Cisco. It's C-I-S-C-O, it spelled the same? right? Oh, it might be spelled goodness. the same. This is but, the Georgian guy, right? You no, know, no. it's the guy. It's, he's Spanish, but he's the guy who coached Dynamo Tbilisi for like half okay, a year okay. and then was fired immediately. Dude, it's just sad um, that Emmanuel Dennis couldn't, you know. I know, he couldn't keep, save his Keep job. it together. Um, and, and by the way, the voice that you're hearing is that of someone whose team mustered a grand total of three shots on target um, across two games this last week. Oof. Caleb Rhodes. Yes, it is I, the Barcelona fan. Um, but as we will discuss, Barcelona technically, emphasis on technically, did not have the worst week in European soccer this week. So, yes, small, uh, well, the, there's small blessings there. And I think the first game that we should talk about is one that we previewed briefly on previous episodes after FC Sheriff became the first team um, from Moldova or Transnistria to uh, score goals or win or pick up any sort of points in the Champions League uh, with their 2-0 win against Shakhtar Donetsk. They had a much different opponent that they were taking on at the Bernabeu, one of the most storied grounds in European football. And frankly, what was a simply stunning goal from Sebastian Till, the Luxembourg international, um, ended up delivering a famous 2-1 victory for Sheriff over Real Madrid that sees Sheriff now at top of the group that also contains Inter and Shakhtar. Um, I personally think that this is just so funny because it's Real Madrid, um, because it's two clubs that have, I would say like sketchy would be like the most favorable word that you could use to describe them. But aside from that, what were the takeaways from this game on the pitch rather than uh you know, maybe in the back rooms. Wait, wait, wait. Before we do that, I have an update on the Cisco situation. <laughs> they are not spelt the same. Aww. And that makes me really upset. Aww. So it's the Watford Cisco or the formerly Watford Cisco is X-I-S-C-O. Mm. And Cisco of the legendary thong song 
is S-I-S-Q-O with a accent over the O. <laughs> oh, famously, we can't can't yep. forget the accent. Anyways, on to Sheriff, Caleb. I apologize. No, no worries. I mean, obviously, it's it's pretty surreal that Sheriff have now won, you know, their first two Champions League games. And they might be pretty much the smallest team to ever play in the Champions League. I feel comfortable saying that, or at least they're in the, the conversation there. Um, but Madrid honestly just got so unlucky. I mean, they had 30 shots in this game, 11 on target, 76% possession. Um, Hazard looked good. Like everyone looked good. It just didn't really come off on the day. And as you said, that goal to win was just so ridiculous. Um, I, I think though the funniest element of this, because obviously I'm relishing, you know, what little joy I can get, not from my own team, but from the failures of my my enemies. Um, after the after the game, this is so funny. All the Madrid reporters went up to some of the players and were asking them whether they were like actual professionals, like whether they were like full time soccer players. They were doing that before um, the game too. Yeah, like really, the vibe was that. It, it was like, you know, when there's the international break and some teams playing San Marino and there's like the one guy who plays in Serie D and then everyone else is like a plumber. Um, they really <laughs> thought that they were playing, or I guess in this case, they'd be like police officers um, or something like that. But uh, <laughs> Military police. <laughs> yeah, the, oh, no. the Transnistrian guard. Um, but... Madrid deserved to win this game. I think this was so fluky, but somehow Sheriff have kind of fluked their way to the top of the table. And, you know, I have to respect that. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've had a few days to digest this result. I want to say that I put a small bet on Sheriff, like $2, thinking that it like would definitely, I would just be losing $2. However, to my surprise, I came away the winner of around $30, thanks to Sheriff Teresa's Bowl. Teresa's Bowl? I, I could not tell Sorry, you. I'm today on my Moldovan. Sheriff Tyrese Gibson. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think, Caleb, you're absolutely right. This is the, in my opinion, you could think about, you know, Celtic beating Barcelona in 2012. You can think about Ruben Kazan beating Barcelona way back in the day. A lot of the biggest Champions League <laughs> upsets have unfortunately involved FC Barcelona. But I think that the difference between those is that we know Ruben Kazan and we definitely know Celtic Football Club. I don't think any of us, maybe a few of us, but most of us did not know about Sheriff Teresa's Bowl before the Champions League group stage draw was made. And very few of us, and I would dare to say none of us, expected them to be sitting on top of a group involving Inter Milan, the previous winners of the Serie A trophy, and the most winningest club in European football history. I think that is an astounding story. Unfortunately, as we've discussed, it is not the most uh, tasteful underdog story of all time, uh, but there's nothing that a little KGB style football romance um, won't do to tug at the heartstrings, Nathan Strauss. Yeah. And I think I don't mean to toot my own horn or any of our own horns at all, but like I play a lot of football manager and that means I'm pretty acquainted with like the most random clubs in the most random leagues. 
But I'm looking at the Moldovan League table right now. By the way, only eight teams. And I only recognize two teams, only one of which um, I would have known before I knew about Sheriff. And that's CS Petro Cub, because they, I think, have been in the Europa League in the past. So, like, it truly is, like, one of the most obscure leagues in Europe. And um, it makes this result all the crazier, especially because, like, it's not as if Madrid were outplayed, right? Like, Sheriff took four shots on the day. It's just that one of them was right from the six. Uh, it was a great header. And the other one was like a career worthy banger of a volley off of a throw-in um, while Madrid took 31 total shots and put 11 shots on target. So this is sort of like the exception that proves the rule when it comes to expected goals and sort of the quality of these two teams. It's the kind of result that take it back to the football manager you kind of save scum for if you're playing as one of the smaller teams and you desperately need three points. But all in all, it's always funny watching Madrid lose. It's also particularly funny when they lose to a club um, with, with no recognizable players. Uh, so, Did you see that Sebastian Till, the guy who scored the winner? By the way, that's going to be like, that is like, you, we've witnessed like the peak of that man's life oh, scoring that goal. Like, that's unbelievable. First of all, unreal goal. Like, worthy of winning any game, particularly a game of this magnitude. But did you guys see that he has a tattoo on yeah, his sick. leg? Yeah, of, of like, him scoring in the Champions League. Yes. How insane is that? How, like, I mean, that is, I mean, if you, I mean, just think what you I, want about Sheriff, the club, but, like, these players, and I think Caleb, you are articulating this as well. Like, we have to remember that, like, soccer is a massive, massive enterprise and there aren't, in fact, like the clubs like Real Madrid, the clubs like Inter Milan, the clubs like Manchester United are very much in the minority in terms of their, you know, grand scope and power. You know, most clubs do not have that. And Sheriff certainly do not have that. And the fact that, you know, their players who are professionals, you know, who were mocked before the game, who no one believes in. And the man who ended up scoring the winner has a tattoo on his leg of him scoring in the Champions League. Like that is, I mean, you literally, it's cliche, but you literally could not write it any better than that. It's insane. I think there was another game on the day, that mm. Tuesday, that is probably more worthy of our discussion in the long term. As much fun as that was. PSG Man City. Uh, it featured the, it was the most expensive game of all time. Uh, these two starting 11s combined to the set soft the record. power derby. Yes. No, it, it truly is um, sort of a, a nightmare for the neutral, um, at least the ethical neutral, but we knew city have been in somewhat of a rut. We also knew that they had a very, very tricky week worth of fixtures that Caleb and I talked about last time. And hmm. they, I mean, they went strikerless again, and it was PSG who came out on top in a, a deserved victory that was slightly less entertaining than I would have thought. It was not as open as I would have thought, um, but it's sort of what you would expect when you play, uh, when you compare these two teams. Yeah, I mean, this was, this was, you know, it wasn't as entertaining as maybe we would have hoped, but I think it was still another good soccer game between two juggernauts two teams that have to you know consider themselves in the conversation for champions league favorites this year um i think in a lot of ways this was you know instructive for 
Guardiola moving forward with this team. Unfortunately, it really just seems like Raz no longer has a place um, in this squad. Playing him through the middle is just not it, uh, especially. Meanwhile, for PSG, honestly, like the most important result from this game was Messi after hitting like every post, the crossbar, like 14,000 times, finally getting the goal in what was, it must be said, just a quintessentially messy goal, tearing away at the right wing, cuts inside, no one can keep up with him at his pace of dribbling. Mbappe makes a great run. Messi passes it, Mbappe lays it off, and then Messi strikes it so perfectly that Ederson can't do anything but kind of watch it curl into the net. You know, we'll talk about, you know, PSG's falters in, in Ligue in their next game, but I think we saw the glimpse of the type of interplay that we can see between the M&M front three by the time, you know, these Champions League games will matter a lot more um, come the spring. Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, Nathan, I don't know about you, but I thought it was a very entertaining game just in terms of like pure tactical perspective because Man City, I think much like they did against Chelsea and much like they did in the first half against Liverpool, really suffocated PSG. And I think it was only down to, you know, these very finite moments of amazing counterattacking football from PSG that they were able to, you know, get the result. And I thought defensively, actually, they were very good. I thought uh, Kimpembe and Marquinhos had a very good game. I thought Adrisagana Gay rightfully walked away with the man of the match trophy after scoring the opening goal as well. But I think PSG, Caleb indicated that Eminem are going to get better. Like we are sure that they're going to get better. These are three of the most talented footballers in the world and two of the most technically gifted footballers of all time in Neymar and Messi. And I imagine Mbappe will get up to that level as well at some point. But I just think in this game, Man City really exploited some of the deficiencies of having three players of that quality in Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, who you know are going to provide a statistical output. But for a manager like Pochettino, who is so system-focused and so focused on like team-oriented pressing play and defending as a unit, there might be there might be some some real issues to iron out. And I think that kind of got exposed this weekend when PSG lost away to Rennes 2-0. And Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe are just not going to track back. Like, they're, they're not Lucas Mora and Hunmin Zahn who are going to do that for Maurizio Pochettino. So I think this weekend against Rennes, PSG played a 4-2-3-1. I think Pochettino has to find a way to stick with a 4-3-3. And partner Gay and Verratti with someone like a Wijnaldum or someone like a Herrera just to offer that bit of balance to the team. And I think it's really spells some trouble for Angel Di Maria. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, because you'd expect a team with that front three to try and let those three incredibly creative players who are all very good with the ball at their feet, even, even Mbappe, who obviously thrives in open spaces, is technical as demonstrated by his flick to set up Messi. They don't, in their results in the past seven games that PSG have played, they've only had more than 55% possession three times, which is kind of surprising considering that they should be the class team in basically every matchup with the exception of Man City. 
So it's interesting that PSG were able to find that success on the counter in particular, just because Messi in the past has obviously thrived in systems that have been more possession oriented, just because he is so acutely aware of space. And I think Neymar at PSG has taken up a sort of different role. He's often looked really good as that number 10, actually. Um, but trying to find, I, I think those, that front three, the Eminem front three will look better when PSG figure out a little bit better ball retention without sort of just trying to feed Messi and Mbappe going forward. Because even the run that led to Messi's goal, there was only one player in front of him going up against six city players at the back. And so had it not been for Messi's individual brilliance, which comes off more, more often than any other player, um, you know, they wouldn't have ended up getting a goal from that situation. So I would like to see a, a team that's put out that enables Messi and Neymar to come inside a little bit more, to not be the players furthest forward, to let Mbappe be the one to stretch the lines instead of Messi. Um, and I think they definitely do have growing to go as a, or room to grow rather, as demonstrated by their loss at Rennes and even the draw with Bruges. Yeah, I mean, I think the next step for this PSG team, especially in terms of, you know, keeping possession more consistently is whenever Ramos gets back and making the sort of big assumption that he can stay fit, I think they'll slide Marquinhos back into that sort of holding midfield role that he really excelled at um, last season. And I think especially with Verratti back as well from injury after a you know decently long layoff, they will, um, you know, retain possession more. And I think this is all to say that, like this PSG team is very much still growing towards its potential because it's certainly not dominating right now the way we expect it to. But I think it's still important to say like, even the fact that they're sort of diminished in terms of chemistry, they're still beating one of their main rivals 2-0 in the Champions League. Before we move on to the Premier League, I think there's one match from Wednesday that we should discuss. And that is... And that is Barcelona being, I don't know what the appropriate term is here, um, destroyed by Benfica. I think that's. I think just the process of natural selection took its toll by (laughs) one Darwin Nunez. Yeah, it was the Darwin Nunez show. And Barcelona, coming off of what was an encouraging display the previous Sunday, rolled out in the 3 5 2 and had basically everything possible go wrong. you know, they were dramatically outplayed by a Benfica team. And to add insult to injury, um, I believe it was, uh, was it Julian Weigel after the match? Or no, Rafa Silva after the match, you said that Barcelona were not a challenge whatsoever. Um, and yeah, 3-0, and it wasn't particularly competitive. No, it was not. It was a uh, symbolic performance all around from FC Barcelona, encapsulated in the first half by Gerard Piquet being subbed off by Ronald Koeman on a yellow card and of a player of his experience that should not be happening. And also I imagine Koeman probably should have a little bit more trust in him too. So all around really bad vibes from Barcelona. And that was compounded when they went away to Atletico Madrid and they lost 2-0 at the Wanda Metropolitano, Luis Suarez scoring a goal and then doing a little phone celebration and a reference to uh, Koeman cutting him from the team via a phone call and not even meeting with him in person. I'm interested to hear what Caleb thinks about this. My take on this is Kuman has to go. He has to go immediately. And I think 
regardless of what the financial situation is at Barcelona, I know it's been mooted that they don't quite exactly have the finances to sack a manager right now. They just need to do it. They need to, I don't even know what finances they could move around to make it happen, but they need to get Kuman out of there and appoint a caretaker immediately because this is just, this season was already going to be an immense challenge for Barcelona without the statistical output of Messi. It is even worse to try and rebuild this team or rejig this team when the atmosphere surrounding the club is as toxic as it is. And you can tell that Laporta and Kuman even though like they are trying to portray this rosy image of their relationship to the media, apparently, according to Fabrizio Romano and many others, that is not the case. And there's a lot of venom and toxicity in the air at the club, and you need to get someone in, you know, like a someone who knows the club, you know, a Spaniard, perhaps, a, a Catalonian, perhaps, not Xavi. I don't think it should be Xavi quite yet, but just someone who is familiar with the club more intimately than Kuman is because even though Kuman is a legend of the club but I just think I don't know Caleb it's it's bad it's really bad and it, I did not expect it to be this bad but it's this bad it's bad it's really bad I did not expect it to be this bad but it is this bad those are those are pretty much my thoughts but we can make a few observations first so you know what changed from Levante where we played a 4-3-3 looked very convincing 1-3-0 to this 3-0 drubbing, our second consecutive 3-0 drubbing, our, I think, fifth consecutive Champions League game without a win. Our last goal in the Champions League is still a goal Messi scored. Um, I just want to say it could have been more than 3-0, too. Benfica were breaking with such ease. They were getting in behind, just long balls over the top. Very, very simple rudimentary stuff was yeah. breaking down Barcelona. It was, It was... It was all over the place defensively, but I yeah. think the score honestly was not as bad as it could have been. Yeah, but and then and then again, just changing our formation um, to the three-five-two. And who does all these things? What is the key difference from Levante to this game? Oh, it was the fact that there was no Komen against Levante. Um, now correlation <laughs> does not equals causation, except when you're the manager of a team. Um, he's terrible. And, and I, I just don't understand his inability to just set the team up simply um, in a way that they understand. I think changing systems all the time doesn't work very well. I think Luke de Jong is just not really up to scratch. He brought Pedri back too soon, who's now injured again. Um, Eric Garcia is, you know, has been found out a decent amount. I mean, this is what his second or third red card this season already. Um, I agree. Komen needs to go. We need a caretaker in. You know, it's been mooted that we might get Ten Hag next year, um, but obviously we need someone now. I do think things will still, you know, probably improve slightly in the medium term once Fati can, you know, actually start games and once Dembele returns in November. Um, but right now, I mean, we're we're living up to my early prediction that that Barcelona would be in the Europa League. And I think this I mean... <laughs> is, or, or out, right? Um, I, I think this is probably the most embarrassing loss that I've ever seen for Barcelona. Like, this is more embarrassing in my mind than losing, like, 8-2 to Bayern, um, just for the sheer fact that, like, it's Benfica. Um, 
so yeah, very, very disappointing all around and hopefully things get, you know, slightly better from here, but I'm, I'm not yeah. holding my breath too much right now. And I think it just needs to happen before the next Classico, which is the 24th of October in about three weeks time. But shall we move on to the Premier League uh, before dissecting the latter half of Barcelona and Real Madrid's weeks? Uh, I think because we want to keep this somewhat brief and there was one clear standout fixture, we may as well jump right to Sunday's matinee, um, one of the most entertaining fixtures in world soccer that we alluded to um, in the beginning, but a fixture that has decided the league before, Liverpool versus Man City, and this game absolutely lived up to expectations. Yeah, I mean, these are two of the top five teams in the world. And conveniently for us, they play in the same league and they play each other twice a season. And every single time that they play, it is particularly at Anfield, I find uh, the atmosphere not quite up to par at the Etihad. I don't know why that could be, but that is just the case. Um, particularly when they play at Anfield, it is it just ends up being a memorable fixture and this was no different you know the first half Liverpool really could not get to grips with City's possession and the way that they were just moving them around James Milner was having a torrid time at right back picking up an early yellow card which would you know come into play later in the match and then it, we got into the dressing room at halftime I said we I don't play for Liverpool Liverpool got into the dressing room at halftime and Jurgen Klopp clearly did some things tactically, which he kind of revealed in the post-match, was kind of a mix of rejigging the the team structure, letting Curtis Jones get on the ball a little bit more, but also just telling his team to be brave. And you could hear him. The mic was picking him up during the game, just shouting from the touchline, be brave, be brave, and brave they were in the second half. Uh, and particularly one individual in Mohamed Salah, who I think we, we need to have a conversation, lads, about Mo Salah, quickly becoming one of the Premier League's all-time great forwards. Because in my opinion, you know, his work in the past five years at Liverpool certainly merits that discussion. And look no further than the goal that he scored in this game, making Imeric Laporte completely disappear with a very, very silky piece of skill and is able to find the net from the most acute of angles. And he also sets up Sadio Mane for his finish as well. In the end, I think City responded really, really well to the kind of renewed aggression from Liverpool in the second half. And it made from you know an incredible Kevin De Bruyne goal to bring the match level at 2-2. Um, I just thought, you know, this is like, I was very happy with the point. And that is because I think these two teams threw absolutely everything they could at the wall in this game. And it's it's that second half. I think I said this at the top of the pod. It's one of the greatest 45 minutes of Premier League soccer I think I've ever seen. And, you know, there was some crazy stuff even in the first half, you know, that Ederson goal kick that he managed to curve right into the path of Phil Foden. Like, I've never seen stuff like that before. And this fixture continues to provide moments like that. And it was no different on Sunday. Yeah, this game was so good that it's half the reason I almost missed my train out of Penn Station the other half being the fact that none of the message boards were working and I, I didn't know where to go. But yeah, I, I, was so, I was so entertained by this. And I think, Nick, you're right. We need 
to give Mosala his due as you know one of the the greats in the Premier League. Um, I mean, he's now at a hundred goals, and he was player of the match, you know, by far. I'd also like to highlight a few other players that I think I I may have been giving a little too much stick early on this year. Gabriel Jesus has sneakily been quite, quite good on, on the right wing so much so that he's, I think purely on merit, keeping Mares out of the team. Mares, of course, who, you know, was one of Guardiola's go-to guys um, in the champions league last year on their way to the final um, and then Bernardo Silva, who I think I had pointed out, his production seemed down, but I was actually, you know, reading some articles and looking at some stats and uh, Guardiola is purposely playing him a little deeper this year. And he has turned out to be one of the most effective box to box midfielders in Europe this year. So this that, was another fantastic game. And I that think, dribble from Bernardo yeah, Silva in the yeah. first half. Yeah, and he like lays it off to Phil Foden. And I was like, yeah. "Oh no!" And I was like, "Sure, it's gonna be one 0 And Allison comes out with an amazing save. But that was yeah. like one of the best pieces of skill I have ever seen at Anfield. You know, until Salah kind of stole the show. But that, I mean, like, yeah, Bernardo Silva. This is a guy who wanted to leave the club this summer, and he's producing some immaculate performances in the Premier League this season. Yeah, this was the kind of game that makes me jump back to my earlier thoughts about the City team preseason, which is that they are one 100 to 150 million pound striker away from winning the league. Um, It was incredibly entertaining. I did think that Milner should clearly have been sent off in about the 75th minute. And to be fair, he then got withdrawn incredibly quickly. Like Klopp definitely knew that he got away with one. Frankly, I think Milner would probably admit it too, if you asked him in confidence, but uh, the first half felt, um, felt like both teams were feeling each other out a little bit. It was a little testy, uh, but the second half was just awesome. Like it was just really it, it, it should be the advertisement for what Premier League soccer is um, or should be because it slapped. Like there's there's really just like nothing else you need to say. Like all the goals were fantastic. Uh, Curtis Jones looked really good again, I thought, particularly in the second half. Um, I think he's taken over the mantle from Wijnaldum really well. Um, Van Dyke, I didn't think had the best game. I think it was the most he's been tested since returning from injury. But obviously, like, he's a world-class player. He will get better. And I think this Liverpool team as a whole is a lot better when Trent Alexander-Arnold is playing it right back and not Milner on his offside. So um, all in all, a pretty entertaining fixture. I think a draw was perfectly fair um, when all was said and done. Uh, I don't know if the game changes that much if Milner is sent off in the 75th or 76th minute. Um, But really just fantastic stuff all around. As a neutral, it it was very fun to watch. Shall we move on to discussing the last part of our show today, which is you thought losing to Sheriff was bad and you thought losing to Benfica was bad. Well, why don't you lose another game at the weekend? Uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid both lost. And frankly, Barcelona and Real Madrid were joined by PSG and Bayern and Ajax, teams that are traditionally walking the table in their respective leagues. I know the Eredivisie isn't the same as the Bundesliga or League Un, but all of these teams lost this weekend. Is there something in the water or is this just one of those uh, those weird, you know, fluke weekends all around? 
So this is where, you know, earlier I was saying like, you know, technically Barcelona didn't have the worst week um, because technically Madrid losing to Sheriff and Espanyol is like worse than Barcelona losing to um, Benfica and Atleti. But, I, you know, I'm willing to chalk off this Madrid loss as well because they were they were dominant again and just didn't things didn't come off. I, I think. Uh, Ancelotti is still trying to like figure out how to make this team fit. I think he really likes Kamavinga and is trying to see sort of like what roles he can play. I'm not all that concerned about Madrid, although I think it's nice that, you know, Raul de Tomas, uh, a former Madrid youth player, and then Alex Vidal, a bit of a journeyman, but who did play 50 odd games for Barcelona, scored the winner there. And then obviously like Barcelona are just worse than Atleti right now. And so like we lost like analysis <laughs> it's prime analysis from caleb roots we were not as good as them so we lost that's honestly what kuman should have said in the post-match not no, Kuman like... would probably be like but our future is still so bright because of me yeah forget exactly. the the dumpster fire don't ignore <laughs> the dumpster fire in front of you it's about the dumpster fire tomorrow Sorry. I mean, I'm not no, making yeah. any sense at all. But. <laughs> it's about the dumpster fire of the future, not the dumpster fire of the present. It'll be a bigger dumpster fire. It'll be the burning man. Yeah, yeah, there's there's always be... a bigger. There's always a bigger boat, right? Mess K and dumpster fire. Mess K and Basura. Except think, it's actually well, even... less. Less than what's less? Menos. Menos. Menos K in dumpster, dumpster fire. fire. Yeah. Uh, dumpster yeah, even... fuego. Basura fuego. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Spanish 101 with uh, Caleb Roots. <laughs> I think um, even Bayern lost this weekend at home to uh, Frankfurt, who are not doing so well in the Bundesliga this season. I think it's just um, we're going to get a lot of these weekends, I think, of the fans being fully back in stadiums. You know, La Liga, the fans are starting to creep back up in incremental numbers. I think very soon we're going to have fully packed stadiums in La Liga again. I know that that really changes the atmosphere. And I think we saw from the year of, you know, lockdown games versus, you know, the beginning of this season where we're all kind of raving about the the quality of the matches being played. And last season, it was a bit of a drag to get through everything. I think we are sort of reintegrating ourselves into kind of what the sport looks like, but also or what the sport should look like or what we're kind of accustomed to, but also that and the landscape like greatly changing too during COVID. You know, like Real Madrid are no longer managed by Zinedine Zidane. It's Carlo Ancelotti. And he's got to figure out how to come out of coronavirus with this Madrid team that is like heavily depleted. And he has to rework some new parts in. Like he played David Alaba at left back instead of center back for the first time. And he came out after the game and said that that was a mistake on his part. Uh, obviously, Barcelona, we've talked at length about the struggles that Ronald Koeman is having and probably doubly so now that Kuman is having to play these games in front of packed stadiums, particularly a way to Atletico Madrid. So I think it's just a, a case of, you know, and I think about this too when like Liverpool traveled to Brentford last weekend for that 3 3 draw uh, away at their new stadium. I think it's one of those things where it's like maybe during the era of COVID football, Liverpool would have won that game 3 1 and seen out the game without the crowd being on their backs you know, and, and pumping up Ivan, Tony, and the rest of the Brentford guys. 
But I think it is a case of, you know, we're starting to see football look like football again. And that comes with an adjustment of its own too. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I mean, like PSG, because of the league that they play in and the relative strength of their squad, they're able to lose like 10 games a year and still win the league pretty comfortably. They don't, but they do get upset every now and then. Marseille have beaten them. Lyon have, have played them really hard. And losing 2-0 to a Rennes side that, you know, is a mid-table team isn't the end of the world when all is said and done. Um, it only becomes, it, it becomes more of a talking point if it's something that you do over and over again. But, like, it's still, it, 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 this is the first week of October. Um, and I think there's still plenty of time for, you know, everyone to regress to the mean, even... You know, even though this was probably a regression to the mean for Real Madrid, it certainly was not for uh, for PSG, for example. And Bayern, like, look, they look like the best team in Europe, like four out of every five match days. Losing this one isn't, you know, isn't the biggest deal in the world. Uh, so at the end of the day, it makes these leagues a little bit more competitive. The Bundesliga looks like, you know, it could have another decent title race right now. Admittedly, we're only seven matches in, but we do have four teams within one point of first. Uh, La Liga is going to be tight as well as Barcelona, you know, pick up their game in hand and presumably strengthen after eventually sacking Komen. But all in all, um, I think a lot of teams were looking forward to this international break. And, uh, you know, we've got some pretty big World Cup qualifying games coming up, at least from a U.S. perspective. But then, you know, we come back for another six-week stanza of, of, of club and European football. And uh, it's nice to be back in the swing of things. It's really nice to have fans back at full capacity just about everywhere. And it's weird to think that, you know, just as recently as like last May, that wasn't the case. Yeah, it's been very true in like watching a lot of the mid to lower table Premier League games when I wake up in the mornings on Saturdays and Sundays. And like that, it radically has changed, you know, the way that I watch soccer. I'm far more invested in a lot of the storylines now. And I think I remember us talking about this on a podcast towards the end of last season that we were feeling like kind of fatigued with the game in its current state, you know, particularly following the Super League debacle. And I think that had a lot of uh, a big part to play in it. But now as we're starting to see fans back in the stadiums and, you know, the decimal level being turned up to 11, you know, Sellers Park is, you know, pound for pound, the loudest ground in the Premier League in terms of decimal level. And like their team is overperforming right now. And it's been very, very cool to get to watch, you know, the, the fans at Sellers Park, a.k.a the stadium of AFC Richmond in Ted Lasso uh, be ravenous. And I think watching Brentford versus Liverpool and watching the atmosphere at the Brentford community stadium and like being fearful of a newly promoted team again, like that, like obviously it wasn't the result that I wanted through through draw, but it was just incredible to watch this newly promoted team feed off of the energy of their fans. And even this weekend watching Liverpool play Man City at Anfield with a packed crowd. You know, last time we played um, Man City at Anfield, we got drubbed and it was that horrible game where Allison, you know, dropped the ball in the penalty area and it ended up being awful because there was no atmosphere and the players couldn't really feed off of anything. So yeah, there is a, a symbiotic relationship that is starting to reform between fan and player and fan and coach that I think is, 
is just an X factor that's going to make this season one to keep an eye on. Is there anything else that you want to touch upon before sending it into the international break? Andrews Townsend is a god. Did you hear that whole little tidbit about Andrews Townsend trying to get uh, Ronaldo's kit? No, please tell me. Okay, so basically, so for context, because we didn't cover this game, Man you continue to prove our thesis about the Ronaldo transfer correct by drawing against Everton. Um, and about and- Ole. And about Ole. All, all, everything we've ever said about Man U is just true. Um, but so Andrews Townsend obviously scored the tying goal. And after the game went up to Ronaldo asking him for the kit. And supposedly Ronaldo just kind of like ignored him for a bit. And was supposedly just like muttering what I presume were various obscenities in Portuguese. Um, and before ultimately uh, relenting. But Andrews Townsend, of course, after scoring, hit the the you know trademark see. Ronaldo C celebration in Old Trafford, um, so I mean it's 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 a a bit of a funny moment. No, but Ronaldo's nice. definitely not you know probably loving the return so far. I mean he scored a few goals. He had that match winner against Villarreal in in a game where he literally did nothing. He had like <laughs> tw- I, he had twenty four touches of the ball in the entirety of the game and did score the winner. Like that was his contribution. I just think that, I mean, Caleb, you, you said it exactly. Like our thesis on Ronaldo being a bit of a hindrance to the style of play of Manchester United is bearing fruit, even with him scoring some important goals. And it is also hindering Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's ability to get the most out of this team. And Rafa Benitez, you know, no matter what you think of the trajectory of his career at this current state, is a better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And he proved that on Saturday by just sort of absorbing the pressure and getting the most out of his squad. And I think the the free transfer of Andros Townsend and the 1.5 million spent on Damari Gray, who's been low-key one of the MVPs of the Premier League so far, I mean, it, it just shows that there's there's levels to this coaching thing. I agree. It's always, yeah, I guess United are another big team that didn't live up to expectations this weekend, but I think we should leave it there uh an interesting week of international soccer coming up i generally dislike these periods without the interlulls if you will um but i know that i'll be tuning in for usa versus jamaica this thursday um it's probably the most patriotic that i ever get but until next time i've been nathan strauss caleb reds i've been nick vinden and may your countries outperform your clubs of this past weekend we'll see you all next time